we want to welcome you once again to our continuing study on the pastoral epistles. I have to get my chair situated. Sorry about that. And today's lesson is lesson uh, number three, and we will be looking at uh, the chapter six, verses one through, or verses six through ten. Uh, previous to this, in our last lesson, let's see if I can get this thing going here. There we go. In our last lesson, we dealt with the servant's responsibility to a believing master. We also dealt with the preacher's responsibility to his own flock as far as what he should preach, what he should present to the people. And then we dealt with the proper response that we should have towards those who reject God's words. Should we accept them? Should we separate from them? The Bible says we're to separate from them. Now, today's lesson, we're going to deal with contentment and the lack of it. Contentment is something that we don't hear a lot about nowadays. In fact, contentment is something that we don't see a lot of nowadays. We're it seems none of us are particularly content with what God has allowed in our lives. And this is a sin I have to confess in my life because it's hard for me it's it's hard for me to boy this is hard to say. It's hard for me to accept God's will in my life. When it deals with what I see happening to our country. Because when I see what's happening to our country, it bothers me after the flesh. I realize I'm a citizen of heaven, and that's primary. But as an American, I hate to see what's happening to our country. But it, nevertheless, God tells me I'm to be content. And we're going to see how that's possible. And how it is not possible also. So, godliness, verse 6 of chapter 6 says, with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment. Now, what we need in our lives is that very thing. Godliness with contentment. Sorry, I went too far there. Godliness combined, or I should say godliness and contentment combined together and produce the fruit. And the fruit is living in God's will. If we live in God's will, then we don't have to worry about what God's will is. You know, I, I think one of the reasons we don't have much contentment today is because we don't see the, the, the things that are around us. Our finances, our jobs, the way our government is seemingly becoming a dictatorship, we don't see those things as being God's will. But all I can say to you is, is that God sets rulers up. God takes them down. And 
I read in the scripture where God takes the basis of men and sets them over us. So what are we to do? We're to find contentment by praying for those that God has placed in authority over us and by accepting God's will for our lives. When we accept God's will in our lives, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself still, aren't I? 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8 says, Bodily exercise profited little, but godliness is profitable. So, godliness is profitable. It's profitable unto all things we see. And when we realize that, when we realize that godliness profiteth unto all things, and that scripture says, godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Now, notice, this has the promise, it says, of the life that now is. That is our current condition, the current circumstances in our lives, the things that are all around us, our finances, our jobs, uh, the, the, the diseases that come into this world the governmental changes that come into this world, the crookedness we see in this world. We have to accept that these things are not possible unless God allows them. Now, if God allows them, then God has a purpose in them. And I think part of the purpose, this is my opinion now, I think part of the purpose is, in fact, to condition us to learn godliness. Godliness is just accepting God's way, God's will in our lives, realizing that God could change it if he wanted to. But not only does it have the promise of the life that now is, this is not forever. But the Bible says, of that which is to come. What's that? That which is to come. This is the reign of our Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we're looking forward to. And if we're looking forward to the reign of our Savior, then what is now is only temporary. What is yet to come, that's eternal. This, this is eternal. I can't write it down. That's eternal. 
And that's what we rejoice in. But we rejoice in that the fact that God takes care of us now. But now is not forever. But the reign of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is forever. And that's what we're looking forward to. In Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 16, the scripture says, Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. You see, the fact is, is that we may be put in the position of having little in this life. But the Bible says that's better for us. than great treasure and trouble therewith. So God has a purpose in everything that takes place in our lives. Not very good at this drawing business yet, but I'll get there. But God says it's better for us to have little than to have great treasure that brings trouble with it. Now, how would we get great treasure that brings trouble with it? Well, that would be living outside of the fear of the Lord. As we see this world live. And if I had to choose between the fear of the Lord and having little and not having the fear of the Lord, and having great treasure. The Bible says you better choose the first because there's going to be trouble that comes with great treasure. And there is trouble ahead. If you, do, if you or I do not, or if you or I do not have the fear of the Lord in our lives, then we're headed for trouble. For the Christian, it's the chastisement that the child receives. For the unbeliever, this business of trouble, the Bible says, is hell, fire. That's what the trouble is going to bring you as a lost person if you fail to recognize the fear of the Lord in your life because the fear of the Lord will cause you to turn to the Savior and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Sorry, I have to turn a page here. And receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Then we come to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. It says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he, saith, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Wow, what a great promise. What a tremendous promise. Jesus, Jesus 
says to me, says to you, believer, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So if our conversation, our life, that's what conversation is. It's our life. It's the way we live. If our conversation is what it ought to be, it's without covetousness. It's without grasping greed in our lives, but being content with such things as God gives us, recognizing that the greatest gift of all is that Jesus says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I've often used this illustration after someone receives the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior or prays to receive him. That is, you take your hand and watch what it does. Here's what Jesus says here. I will never leave thee. That's what Jesus says to us. I Jesus will never, ever, never leave thee. What a great promise. What a tremendous promise to lock ourselves into, to put our anchor into. That's where we get contentment, is forgetting covetousness, grasping greed of this life. And realizing that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, promises that he's never going to leave us, that he'll take care of us. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13, the scripture says, not that I speak in respect of want. This is the apostle Paul, and he knew what want was. But he said, I'm not speaking in respect of want. He says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He says, I know both how to be abased. I know how to be in want. I know how to abound. I know how to have a great deal. Everywhere and in all things, he says, I am instructed. Paul says, I'm instructed to be full. Everywhere I'm instructed to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And he says, and here's the key, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Do you get that? I can do all things. Through Christ, not through myself, but through Christ, which strengtheneth me. How do I find contentment? I find contentment in my life by learning to be content and learning how to be abased to suffer need, he says, or how to abound, to be full, to overflowing. 
He said, I can take the abounding, I can take the, the suffering. I can take it all because I can do all things. Don't stop there. Don't stop there. Through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can do all things, but it's not through myself. It's through Christ, which strengtheneth me. The Lord's the one gets me through the abounding. The Lord's the one who gets me through the um, suffering need. It's the Lord who brings me through it all. And it's him who enables me to go through it all. That's how we get contentment in our lives. Remember who he's talking to at this time in its context. And go back and look at, at Timothy's, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and, and, and verse 6 and the verses previous to it. And notice that he's talking to slaves to their masters. I know that's not popular, but that's what it says. Now, if I want to use it devotionally, it's talking to me as an employee of an employer. If I have a job and they pay me to work a certain amount of hours, then I'm to be content with what they pay me. That'll do away with you. You're complaining about the boss not paying you enough or the boss profiting off of your back. You got a job, thank God for it and do it. Do it as unto the Lord. That brings us to verse 7. In verse 7, he says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. You know, when you came into this world, you brought nothing. And when you leave this world, you're going to take nothing. That's the condition we come into this world. That's the condition we leave this world. That should tell us the value of earthly possessions. The things that we think are so important. Job said, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. This was when God had taken everything from him. And his wife said to him, curse God and die. And Job's answer was, I came in this world with nothing. I'm going to leave this world with nothing. The Lord gave. Whatever I have in this world, the Lord gave. If I have riches or if I have little, the Lord gave. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. What God's given me, he has a right to take from me. I think about Jonah. 
after he'd preached to Nineveh. Then he got mad because God did what he knew God was going to do. He converted those people. And Jonah went and sat on the outside of the city looking to see if God might just by chance destroy them all. And so what did God do? God put a gourd over his head to, to comfort him, to give him shade. And he enjoyed that. But then the, by the next morning, God had taken that away and an east wind came. And Jonah got mad because there was no more comfort to be found. You know what he got mad about? What he didn't labor to do in, his, in the first place. You know, that's what we do. God gives it to us. And then when God takes it away from us, we don't realize that it, without God, we couldn't have got it in the first place. So what are you upset with God for? The Lord gave, the Lord took it away, he said. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It takes a lot to say that. But that nevertheless is what we're supposed to say in our lives. You want to know the value of earthly possessions? In Luke chapter 12, verses 20 and 21, the scripture says, But God said unto him, Thou fool. Now, who's he talking to? Well, if you go back to Luke chapter 12 and read the scriptures preceding this, you find a man who had great stores, and then he had a great crop come in, and he said, I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to lay them up, and I'm going to say to my soul, soul thou hast, great, you've got everything you need. Take your ease. God's answer to him was, thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be? You're going to lose what you got in this world the instant you leave this world. You're going to lose your fame. You're going to lose your fortune. You're going to lose everything because you're not taking it with you. God says, then who shall these things be? You know, God's point is the things that are in this world aren't what's isn't what's important. Because the scripture goes on and says, So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You're a fool. If you put your trust in the things of this world and you put all your labors into the things in this world, grasping, greed, covetousness, you're a fool. Because the day is going to come when God says, Thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. The Bible says, What is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? God says, This is the man who lays up treasure for himself in this world and is not rich toward God. That's why we're supposed to lay our treasure up in heaven. We're moss, we're loss and, and rust 
and thieves can't take it away, and where death doesn't destroy it in our lives. Verse 8 tells us then, having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. So what does God want in my life? Do you have food and raiment? Did God provide food and raiment for you today? That means, do you have food on the table? Do you have clothes on your back? Well, you say, I don't have what I want. That's not the question. The question is, did God give you food and clothing? I remember reading a story years ago about an, uh, an old Christian who sat down at his table. And there on his table was a loaf of bread and a jug of water. And his prayer was this, God, we thank you that you have ravished earth and sea to bring us this bounty. My, what contentment he had. My, what contentment we lack. We need to be content with God's provisions in our lives. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9 says, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of God, take the name of my God in vain. Notice, there's two conditions here. Being full or being poor. He said, don't give me the one, the writer of Proverbs. Don't give me being full, abounding. There's that abounding right there. There's that suffering need right there. So this one is in need. Ah. Sorry. Let me get a hold of this thing. This one's in need. This one's full. Abounding. Now what does he say? Don't give me too much. Because... If you give me too much, I'll be full and I'll forget you. I'll deny you, Lord. You know, most of the time when we're full and all our needs are met, we don't pray much, do we? That's what he's talking about. And don't give me too little because then I might be tempted to steal 
and take the name of my God in vain. Instead of blessing God, I curse God's name. Sad, isn't it? That for all that God gives us, we can get to a point where he gives us too much and we forget him. We turn our backs on him. If he gives us too little, we we get mad at him. What a mess, man. What a mess we are. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 11 says, Give us this day our daily bread. Do you notice that it's daily? It's not yearly. It's not weekly. It's not monthly. It's daily. Why? God wants us to come to him daily. Now, I know what this scripture is dealing with. And I know that it's dealing with Israel. But I also know that it talks to me as a Christian that I'm to come to God and say, Lord, give me today my daily bread. Give me what I need today. And every day is different. So every day has its own requirements. The Bible says, let us therefore be content. We're to be content with less. Or more. The things that we're most content about is less than most of us find in our estimation of contentment. Because you know what we're, our problem is? We don't think God's providing for us the way we deserve. What we don't realize is that we live by faith. Faith. And by the grace of God, not getting what we deserve. Believe me, we don't want what we deserve. We want God's grace, His mercy, if you will. That's what we want. That's what God will give us and what he does as he provides our daily needs. Verse 9 then says, but they that will be rich fall. Boy, that's a word we need to look at, isn't it? Into temptation and a snare. And many, into many foolish and hurtful lust, which drown men in destruction and perdition. The Bible says they that will be rich. God takes and puts his finger right on our big problem. He strikes at the thing that men fall in love with, money. And he tells us in First 
Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, the love of money is the root of all evil. Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. God strikes at the very thing that men fall in love with. Boy, if you don't think it's a problem when God hits us with that, especially when it comes to this business of the love of money. If you don't think that's a problem, just check out the new Bibles and see what they do with that. It doesn't say is the root of all evil. It says it's the root of all kinds of evil. In other words, it doesn't all, the love of money doesn't bring all evil. It only brings different, well, it brings, you know, if you fall in love with it, it's got all kinds of evil, so you better guard against that. But it's okay to fall in love with money as long as you don't follow it to all kinds of evil. No, the love of money. When we fall in love with money, it is the root of all evil. It's that which sin is rooted in our lives which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. They've turned from the word of God. They've turned from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've turned from faith in God's word. And in place of that, they pierce themselves through with many sorrows. I mean, it's like arrows going through our bodies when we fall in love with money. Good example is Lot. You know, Lot was the nephew of, a, of Abraham. And Lot... Servants and Abraham's servants got in an argument. Why? Because Lot had too much and Abraham had too much. And so Abraham told Lot, We're brethren, we shouldn't be fighting. Let's separate. So Lot, Genesis chapter 13, verses 10 through 13, Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan. Now right there's the beginning of problems, the eye gate. He lifted up his eyes. He let his eyes do the choosing. He was checking out the neighborhoods. He liked what he saw, the Bible goes on and tells us, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> Sounds like our, our world, doesn't it? We look around us today and we see all kinds of wealth and things and fortune and fame. That's just because God hasn't destroyed it yet. But it'll come just like it did to just like it did to Sodom and Gomorrah. 
even as the garden of the Lord. That's how the devil works in our lives. He makes things look like what God created. He makes them look really good. He says, like the land of Egypt. That in itself is a warning. Egypt is a type of the world in Scripture. And this is a warning. You're looking at the world. You're making your choice according to how it looks. And it looks like the world and you've fallen for it. He says, as thou comest unto Zoar. So what did Lot do? Well, he chose him all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east. Someone said, when you go east, go west to east, you're going against the direction God works. You realize the sun comes up where? In the east. It goes down in the west. You're going backwards, you're going against the way the sun comes up. But Lot chose him that plain. And they separated themselves, the one from the other, and Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan. Canaan is separate from the world. It's not even to be the, the people of Israel, whose land Canaan belongs to, People of Israel are not even to be numbered with the world. He dwelled in Canaan. Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Notice, Lot didn't start out to go, go bad, but he kept his direction the direction that would take him bad. And that's how the devil works. He doesn't get you to go out in one big sin. He gets you to go little by little until finally you're in Sodom. And here's what should have been the warning to Lot. The men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. That should have warned Lot. He should have never pitched his tent that direction or chosen to live in their neighborhood. How often do we choose according to the eyesight? He lifted up his eyes. The eyes are our problem. The eyes lead us away from contentment with where God has us. What am I saying? I'm saying this. I'm saying that if Lot had been what he should have been, Lot would not have left Abram's side. He would have said, I'll just stick it out here. We'll get this sorted out. But I'm not leaving you. Like Ruth to Naomi, I'm not leaving. That should be our declaration. We're not leaving the side that God is on to go to the direction of where the wicked and sinners are before the Lord and that they're exceedingly, and that's the world, and that's the condition of this world today. Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld. He saw 
What he should have seen and he didn't see is the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. He failed to consider the direction it was going to take him. And brother, it'll take us the same direction. The Bible says they fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. The fall is certain. There's, there's no question that it's going to happen. He said which fall. The fall is certain. The temptation to compromise is there. The snare is laid. The trap awaits. It's just waiting for us to step into it. The Bible tells us that Satan uses thorns. If he can't get you to be a wayside here, in the parable of the sower and the seed, if he can't get you to be one that is on stony ground. He'll let you go ahead and plow up the, the earth. Just don't take the thorns out. Leave the thorns there. Matthew 13, verse 22 says, He also that receives seed among thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. Now, I understand there's a lot of disagreement about this. But I'm going to just tell you where I stand with it. I think God's warning us, Christians, if we don't get rid of the thorns out of our lives we're going to become unfruitful. Because the care of this world, that's one of the thorns. We look around us and we see the things of the world and we, get, we start caring about the things of the world. The deceitfulness of riches. Riches is deceitful. It deceives you into believing something that's just not true. Do you ever stop to think of how fast you can get poor? You can go to bed one night, be rich, and wake up the next morning, and it's all gone. There are countries where it's happened. The government overnight devalued the money. I read in history at one point in Germany before World War II, I think it was, they were literally bringing wheelbarrows, load, wheelbarrow loads of money to buy bread. Who'd have thought it? God warns you. But Christian, God warns you that the, when you, you uh, start caring about the world, you're headed for trouble. When you... Start caring about riches. You're headed 
for a fruitless life. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 17 and 19 tells us, Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, and they lay wait for their own blood, and lurk privately for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. Now, a couple of things there. The net is spread in the sight of any bird. You're doing it in vain. Why? Because the bird's going to see it and he's not going to fly into it. But the one who's greedy for gain is blind to the net. Because the one who's greedy for gain is going to be tripped up. Because he doesn't pay attention to the trap that's set. Greed takes away the life of the owners thereof. You go ahead and get your, get your gain here in this world. Go ahead and live for the greed of this world. You know what you're going to find? You're going to find that it just doesn't pay. You're going to find that it's a trap. And you're going to get destroyed by the very thing you think will give you contentment. Ephesians 4.22 says that ye put on concerning the former conversation. Sorry, I read that wrong. Let me go back. That ye put off concerning the former conversation. The old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. That's how, we, that's how we avoid the trap. Put off the old man. You see, when you get saved, when I got saved, the Bible says that Jesus Christ took me and put me in himself. And he now lives in this body. But this body still carries around that old man the old fleshly man that wants the things of this world, that falls in love with the things of this world. I can choose to surrender to the old man or to surrender to the new man, which is renewed daily by the Holy Spirit of God. The new man wants to live for God and the things of God. He finds contentment in what God provides. The old man, well, contentment is a long ways from him. The old man lives for the things of this world and the greed of this world. Wants his way. And what God tells me I'm supposed to do is put off the old man. That means I've got to deny him the right to live his life through me. 
And in place of him, I put on the new man, which will do the things of God, find contentment in the presence of God. 1 John chapter 2 at verse 15 through 17 tells me, love not the world. Don't fall in love with this world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world. Did you notice that word? All that is in the world. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. There's Lot's problem. The pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The lust of the eyes, the the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. These things are not of God, but they are of this world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, that's all going to die. That's all going to be destroyed. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The will of God is that we would receive the Lord Jesus Christ. When we receive the Lord Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. We have eternal possessions that God has put for us an inheritance ahead. But if we choose as Christians to turn back to the world and fall in love with the world and follow the things of the world and start living just like we did before we got saved by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, then we're going to lose because the Bible says those things are wood, hay, and stubble. And when it comes to the judgment seat of Christ, there's nothing but ashes when it's over. God warns us of destruction, destruction that riches bring. I think of a man named Balaam in the scripture. My, how Balaam wanted to do his own thing. Balak sent to him and said, Balaam, come curse Israel for me. Come curse this people for me. I'm going to give you a house full of riches. And old Balaam said, I'll check with God. God said, no, you can't go. Well, old Balaam said, came the next morning and said, can't go with you. God won't let me. They sent another group, promised greater riches. And he says, it doesn't matter what you promise. I can't do what God won't let me do. But I'll check with God just in case. So he did. And God said, if they come and call you, you can go with them. But you're not to speak anything I don't tell you to speak. 
Old Balaam got up early the next morning, gusted himself up, got on his ass and started going, boy. An angel of God stood in the pathway. Balaam's ass had better sense than Balaam, than Balaam had. Oh, Balaam got mad because the ass wouldn't move. Then finally the angel moved to another place. The ass moved until he came in face to face with that angel of God again. And he balked. And Balaam beat that ass. The ass talked to him. Talked to him and argued with him. Said, have I ever done this to you before? And Balaam said, no, but he said, then what right do you have to? He said, I have more right than just to beat you. I'd kill you if I had the chance. And then God opened his eyes and he saw that angel. And he saw that that ass had saved him. See, God didn't want Balaam to go in the first place. What Balaam do? He didn't turn around and go back home. He said, if it's, if it's not in your will, God, I'll go back. That if business don't work. God said, go ahead, but know this. You're going to say what I tell you to say. So he did. When he got done delivering the message to Balak, old Balak got mad, said, God won't let me, won't let you get rich. And Balaam did something contrary to what God said again. That is, he told Balak how to get God to curse Israel. And the outcome to that was when God got done, the children of Israel went in and killed. The Bible said, Numbers chapter 31 and verse 8, they slew the kings of Midian beside the rest of them that were slain, namely Evi and Rechem, Rechem and Zur and Hur and Reba, five kings of Midian. And Balaam also, the son of Beor, they slew with the sword. Balaam's disobedience to God cost him his life. It'd be a good thing if we didn't listen to what the devil says and follow the Balaam's example. Problem is, too often we follow Balaam's example. The Bible says not only that, but he brings perdition. Perdition means entire loss or ruin, utter loss. means you lose everything. Job 27, verse 8 says, For what is the hope of the hypocrite? Though he hath gained, when God taketh away his soul. What have you gained? The Bible says in the, in the New Testament. What is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Listen, you better listen to God and find contentment. Through godliness. Verse 10 says, For the love of money. Now we come down to that verse. The love of money is the root of all evil. 
which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The love of money. My, how the world hates this verse. These newer Bibles put, it's the root of all kinds of evil, as I said before. Why? Because they hate the fact that when you fall in love with money, you've got all kinds of evil going to come out of you. But the problem isn't the all kinds. The problem is what the root of it all is. And the root of it all is evil. Evil produces evil. That's all evil can produce. Wickedness produces wickedness. That's all it can produce. So when we fall in love with money, we'll do anything to gain it. We'll steal, we'll lie, we'll cheat. (coughs) Excuse me. I'm going to have to take a drink. We'll do anything for money when we fall in love with it. And remember, that root is evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. The root feeds the appetite of the plant. The motive for all that is done or not done is evil. (coughs) I'm sorry, I'm having trouble with my voice. So we need to be careful because we're never to fall in love with money. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 19 says, So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which take away the life of the owners thereof. When you're greedy, of gain, you're headed for your life to be taken away. <clears throat> that which is greed of gain. So are the ways of everyone. Did you get that? So are the ways of everyone. Not some, everyone that is greedy of gain. You can't avoid it. You fall in love with money and it leads to greed of gain and it'll take away your life 
before it's over. Titus 1 and verse 11 says, Whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things that they ought not. Why? For filthy lucre's sake. Now, sorry. Now, teaching things. This is where it ties in to what this whole course is about, and that is training men for the ministry. Preachers must never fall in love with money because when you do, you're going to end up subverting whole houses. Because that's what it does. Greed subverts whole houses and causes us to teach things that we ought not. Why? Here's the problem. Here's the goal. That's what leads to this. You teach things that you ought not because you're greedy, a filthy lucre. We've got a lot of preachers today, a lot of preachers in the pulpits who are teaching things simply because they want to make money off of people. You'll change the message. in order to get the paycheck. That's the problem. The Bible says, which while some coveted after, that's the love of money. They have erred from the faith. One of those is Demas. Demas was a fellow laborer with the apostle Paul. But 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10 says, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas was a good worker for Jesus until he decided that the world was worth more than Jesus. He loved this present world. By the way, you know where Demas took off for? Thessalonica one of the great soul-winning churches in the Scripture. You fall in love with money, you're falling in love with the things of this world. And you will forsake the service of God. Just like a lot of people who do anything for money but won't do for God what they ought to. You know, if most of us served on our jobs like we serve God, we'd be fired. We'd be in the poorhouse. Because we treat God just that bad. We're supposed to love God and serve Him. And who you love determines who you serve. No man can serve 
two masters, the Bible tells us. It's an impossibility. Pierce themselves through with many sorrows. The love of money, when you fall in love with money, what happens? You pierce yourself through with many sorrows. That's like taking a knife and committing suicide. You stab yourself. Oh, you don't do that literally. Although some have. But in many cases, when you fall in love with money, it causes all kinds of worry, loss of sleep, loss of contentment. Ulcers come, and pretty soon you're suffering, and it's all because you can't get what you want. Isn't that a shame? Godliness with contentment prevents all of this. God warns us in his word. God's word is true. A good example is Elijah's servant. When Naaman, a heathen general, is healed by Elijah, or by God through Elijah, I should say, of leprosy. Naaman comes back to the front door and says, Hey, I got a gift for you. I want to pay you for your service. And Elijah says, Nope, not interested. Take your gifts and go home. Naaman said, In that case, I want a gift. Can I take a some earth from Israel to take with me to my land. He knew clean land when he saw it. Naaman's headed home. And Elijah's servant chases him down and says, Oh, my servant, uh, my, my Lord, Elijah, he had a couple of young fellows, two prophets, young, fella, young prophets come and he wants me to get a change of clothes for him. And old Naaman says, do more than that and gives him plenty. And when the servant of God comes back to Elijah, Elijah says this. I went with you, you know. I saw what you did, you know. God revealed it all. Now the leprosy thereof of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence, a leper as white as snow. What happened? He fell in love with money, things, riches, fame, fortune. And he ended up in worse shape than the heathen. God cleansed the heathen general, Naaman, and God struck the unfaithful servant with leprosy. It's a warning. Don't fool. Don't think you can fool God and don't think you can fool, fool around with God. 
Godliness with contentment is what we need. If there's one thing we need in our lives today, it's to get godliness with contentment. That's to get in the will of God with contentment. Be content with where where God has put you, with what God has given you. And remember this, nothing came into this world with you, and nothing is going to leave this world with you. So be content with what God provides. That'll guard you against falling in love with the with with money. Be on your guard because this danger lurks all around us. The danger to love this present world. The danger to fall in love with money. To fall in love with riches, with fortune, with fame. The danger is there. And learn this. Love the Lord, and that will prevent you from loving money. You can't love the Lord and love money at the same time. That is an impossibility. So loving the Lord is a protection against loving money. And it protects you from all evil. Well, that concludes this portion of our lesson today. Join us for our next one. And until then, may God bless you.